I want to uh, share with you a little bit of an evolution story. It's a story that many of you know, but some of y'all may not. It's a story about the evolution of sound and actually the evolution of music. If I can go back just a little bit to talk to y'all about music, uh, music was something that, that was heard through the voice, but if you were somebody like me, uh, you didn't necessarily like everybody's voice you heard because you might have heard my voice singing. So, hey, you know, but, but we got to a point where it was like there were certain people's voices that were so beautiful, we wanted to hear them more often. And so Thomas Edison came up, well, he actually took the idea that someone else had and made it something that the masses could use. He came up with this thing called a phonograph. And a phonograph was the old school record player. I've never used one. I've actually never seen one like in person, but you've seen one everywhere where it has the, the, the big horn and there's this crank next to it. You got that picture for me, Brother Kyle? Y'all know what I'm talking about? That, that, that's the phonograph. And, and we went from the phonograph to the record player. From the record player, we evolved to the 8-track. Now, the 8-track was cool because you could just grab that with you and roll. It wasn't like you had to have a whole record player. You couldn't put a record in your car, but you could take an 8-track in the car, and even Bentleys had 8-track players. The jacked-up thing about an 8-track player and kids that don't know what an 8-track player is, it's like a tape, but you couldn't rewind. So that part you really liked that you was jamming, like, play that back. You just had to play the whole album all over, all over again. Then we came out with cassette tapes, and cassette tapes was dope because it was short, it was small, it was portable. And for the first time, you could record yourself on a tape. Now you and your girls can get to jam, and your rapper could get to rap. You could do your own thing with a tape. It was, you see how music was evolving. We then went to CDs, then the CD players, and we had Walkman. Some of y'all like, what's a Walkman? Walkman was, poor, you know what I'm saying, portable, do your thing. And now we got MP3 players. We got AirPods. We got stuff where you don't even buy an actual item anymore. Like, when's the last time you bought a CD, bought an album? Actually, I asked my kids for Christmas to give me a record player. So Pastor ain't salty at all because they ain't get it. I ain't, I ain't salty. I ain't holding no grudges. But you, you see how, how, <laughs> you see how things evolve over time. Music evolves and it has adapted, and now we experience music in a very different way. We walk and have music with us, and it is all around us in a new way today, y'all. I want to put some focus on God's word that helps us understand how the Lord has allowed worship to evolve, how he's seemingly taken this beautiful tool and actually adapted it so it can be for our good pleasure and so we could experience a greater aspect of who God is. We can have more of who God is. So I want to ask you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. 
We've been in our series, which has us have a focus on who Jesus is. It allows us to put our center, our gaze on Jesus so that we can understand the beautiful components of Christ. My prayer is like a, uh, a diamond or like a mirror ball that shines upon, upon a ceiling that there will be a, an aspect, a reflection of who Jesus is that you see that you like. Oh, I love that aspect. I love that he's my, my great high priest. I love that he instilled Sabbath rest. I love that he is my creator. I want you to see all these beautiful aspects of Christ so that as you walk, you can be equipped to go through this life. Hebrews chapter 9. What page are we on, somebody? 1192. Hebrews chapter 9, starting with verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that was budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of those things we cannot now speak in detail. Back to verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, and I'd, I'd love for my folks in the chat to put it in there, because I'm going to actually ask some people in the room a little bit later. But in the chat, you can even start saying now, when you come into a church, what do you expect to see? What do you expect to be present? What are some aspects of a worship environment you expect to see? We see here, and put that in the chat, because I'm going to ask some folks later. We see here. He says that there were regulations for worship, that there were some expectations for what worship would be, that there was not something where you could just come to God however you wanted to. There were some expectations God had laid out. My daughter uh, turns three in February, and my older daughter was with her yesterday or the day before, and she said, what do you want for your birthday? She said two words, cake and toys. Cake and toys. Now, she had been mumbling a little bit earlier, but when we asked her what she wanted for her birthday, she got real clear. Oh, we, we understood that real clear, cake and toys. Now, if I want to be the dad and write her a card and hook her up with a nice card, that's actually more for me than it is for her. Because she can't read. She don't know what I'm talking about, what I'm saying. And guess what she told me? The two things she wanted was cake and toys. You see, the Lord lays out for his people what worship looks like, what the regulations are, what it should look like. If you want to please me, here are some ways that you can do it. First, you need to set up this environment where my presence can dwell. 
First, there's got to be some aspects there that remind you of my beauty, of my glory, of my otherness, of my awesomeness, of my holiness. That's actually what holy means. It means set apart. So there's an area set apart just for me where it looks nothing like anything else in this world. And there's a way in which I want you to worship. I want you to do this in the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was this place where Moses would go meet with God. See, the people of God had issues. They were struggling. They had stuff going on in their lives. And they would say, we don't know what to do. We're going crazy. Let's go to Moses. Moses, we don't know what to do. What should happen? Where do we go? Do we turn left? Do we go right? Moses would say, cool, I got y'all requests. Y'all stay there. I'm going to go meet with God. And God set up a tent and said, Moses, in this place, I will meet you. And so as you go throughout the Bible, you'll see that actually the tabernacle begins to be called the Moses tabernacle or the Moses tent, because in a tent, Moses would just go and meet with God. It was the earliest understanding of what we do now of a worship environment, of a church environment. It was not that all of the people of God would go into the holy place or anything. No, that wasn't happening. What was happening was the people had issues, weighing them down. They bring those issues to Moses. Moses carries those issues and goes into the presence of God, gets an answer, and goes back to the people. And so when the people were heavy, when Moses was heavy, when they didn't know what to do, they set up an opportunity to enter the presence of God. And God gives some things he wants present. He says, okay, my presence is going to be here. There's some things I want. I want the tent of meeting to be present. I want there to be a lampstand that reminds you of, of the light that I bring forth into this dark world and into you as a dark people. I want the bread of presence to be there. I want you to remember my holiness. Remember, I'm set apart from anything else, and I want to bless you and make you a set-apart people for my purposes. We see this, this beautiful image that he gives of regulations. Continue with me in verse 2. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which there was a lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. So now we see that there's, there's some, some, some interesting things happening. And, and, I, and I want this to connect with some of our modern day understanding of church. So these people are in wilderness. And they say, we don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. You know what? We need to seek God. Moses is having all types of issues with the people like, man, who is these people you didn't gave me to lead? Lord, I need to go <laughs> be in your presence. There's this desire to be in the presence of God. And if I can be honest, y'all, presence of God is something that at times can be difficult for us as people. We understand the presence of fun. If I say, man, we about to throw a party next week, it's going down, people will rearrange schedules, change what they got to do, get a babysitter, because we about to go enjoy the presence of fun. If I say, hey, you know, uh, come through, man, there, there's this opportunity to like triple your money. 
people understand the presence of money, right? Like, let me, okay, if, you, if you're going to triple my dollars, let's go do it. Like, like get a babysitter. What do we got to? But the presence of God is something unique. And Jesus gives us an opportunity to have the presence of God in a new way. But there's also something unique that happens when you are as a community seeking God and we enter into his presence here. Here. Now, now some of y'all understand that because I'm a pastor, I want you here. I like seeing your faces. I love having you around. Y'all are funny. Y'all are helpful. Y'all are encouraging. But you notice that the rhythm of the people of God is not just to have fellowship, which is amazing. The rhythm of the people of God is, I got something I'm carrying, and only God can do something about it. So I'm going to go to Moses, Moses is going to go to God, and God is going to send a word back to us. It can be tough to get that same type of entering the presence of God when it's your living room. When, when, when the couch you sat on last night was uber comfortable, you had a big sandwich and chips and a pop, you relaxing, you chilling, and now you try to turn that same couch from last night into a holy place. It's tough. And for those of you at home, you might be saying, well, pastor, do you, well, what you saying? You're saying you don't, you, you don't want me to watch online? I'm not saying that at all. I, I, I'm grateful that you are watching online. This is not about like exactly which tool you choose to engage with fully. What it is about is where do you desire to be? Are you at home because of some of the sisters who said, hey, pastor, I have a medical issue. I'm not coming back yet. Hallelujah. Another person said, pastor, due to my landlord acting crazy, I had to move far away and my car ain't working. Hallelujah. But do you want to be here? Do you want to be in the presence of God's people? Do you want to come and worship the God who created you and sing out with him? Do you want to say, Lord, I've got something weighing me down and I need to bring it to you. I'm about to sing out to you and praise this drama up off my shoulders today. I'm about to go get encouraged in a way that I need to because what has happened this week, God, only you can come through in it. It's been tough for me to get that on the couch. And I believe God works. I believe God transforms situations. I believe God meets us where we are. The very fact that we have a camera and two guys in the back doing all this and Frank built a booth. Y'all, if you would have come to Mac a few years ago, wasn't none of this here? Wasn't none of that here? Me using a computer? And like, well, what? So I'm grateful for all of the tools But don't let the tools diminish our heart passion for what God has designed, which is for us to do life worshiping in community. And sometimes we take the communal aspect of where two or three are gathered. He's in the we take that and be like, let's go to McDonald's. We cool. Dang, McDonald's made it in a sermon again. (laughs) I ain't even playing that one, y'all. God is with us as individuals, but there's something different between God saying, and I want my presence to fall afresh on you. 
I want to free you. I want to relieve you. I want you to experience my grace. I want you to experience joy. I want you to know me. It's a little bit different. And so I'm asking humbly that if you are home, that you pray for us that are coming. Because those that are coming, you're going to be tempted to stay home. And I ask that those of you that are present, you pray for those that are at home. That if they want to be present, that the Lord will open up opportunities for them to do life with us again. So we can shout out and praise the Lord together as a family. Amen. 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 So we look at God's order. He he sets up all these different components of what a worship experience can look like, what it can be like. And he sets up a couple of things so that we know. This is not something that anybody can just do flippantly. It says in verse 3, behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. So now what you have is almost imagine our church building. And imagine there's a, a big sheet up here, a big curtain up here. There's a big curtain at that door. So outside that door is an area where the priests would take all of your prayers, all of our issues, and they will perform certain sacrifices daily, daily, daily. They're loving us enough to say, you you have issues, great, bring them before God so that your sin can be forgiven. And then you come into into this area, you come past the, the first curtain, now you're coming into a place that's reserved only for certain priests. Okay, that area is where more sacrifices take place, more care for who we are as God's people takes place. But then there's a second curtain. That is the most holy of holies. That is a place where only once a year the priest comes and he takes all of the sins of the people and brings them to the Ark of the Covenant or the mercy seat. And the mercy seat is supposed to symbolize the throne of God in heaven. So if God sits on a throne in heaven, the mercy seat is the symbolizing of his presence sitting here on earth. And once a year, that priest comes into this most holy area on our behalf, on the people of God's behalf to say, we're going to deal with their sin. To the fullest degree, we're going to try to deal with their sin. Continue with me down to verse Down to verse uh, 6. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second section, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. Verse 9, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washes, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So we got a problem. We got we got we got a problem. First problem is 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 you and I have this great benefit. 
we have we have the benefit of of joyful, beautiful, like like delight in one another's presence. But when it's sinful, we we got the we got this pride issue. Let, let me know if this has been you. It's been me. You ain't got to stand up, but you can do your hand like this if it's been you. Have you been at a spot where, where somebody uh, um, was serving you or helping you, and, and they weren't doing it in the way you were expecting? So you asked them once, hey, can you do it uh, this way? They, they gave you some pushback. You asked them again, and then next, who did you ask for? Right away. Right away. Manager ain't giving it to me. Who I'm asking for next? Owner, some, hey, somebody going to give me what I want up in here. We, we get this concept that there's a way to enter into the presence of the person who can make the decision happen. And I'll wait as long as I got to until <laughs> she come. You see, God wanted us to understand, hold up, that's not how I roll. See, you guys can't just walk into my presence. You guys just can't enter in and just start making requests, demands. Actually, if you come into my presence, you'll die because there's a sinful aspect of who you are. And don't forget, I'm holy. I'm separate. I'm a little different. And so because I love you, I've created these barriers, barriers to protect you from my wrath because my love abounds. My love is overwhelming but my wrath also is just. And so when you do wrong, when you sin, when you hate your sister, when you hate your brother, when you hate me, when you create images that don't look like me, I should pour out my wrath on you. But you know what? I got this curtain. I got this curtain to hold back you getting me getting what we deserve. And so what happens is the priest is a blessing because the priest goes on our behalf. The priest does the dirty work for us by taking a, a sacrifice that it should receive the punishment we should receive. But that's a flawed system because you and I want God ourselves. You and I want to talk to the manager directly. You and I want to engage in an intimate way. And so that's problem number one. Problem number two is found in, 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 in verse number nine. It says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. So now we getting hooked up, the priest going to God saying, hey, Lord, forgive them. Cool. What happened right after we get forgiven? We go do it again. We go do it again. That's why. That's why this was a. That's why this was a system where we had. We had to keep having a priest. Why? Because we keep having to bring the lamb. Lamb, like dang again, bro. You have to keep bringing the lamb. Keep bringing the lamb. Keep bringing the lamb. Again and again. I've watched this play out in so many different ways, right? We talked last week about the creativity of sin. I'm, I'm praying for, for wisdom of how to talk about a topic, even delicately, because sometimes I see sin on two extremes, how it rolls out in the church. If we're on a topic of worship and we're talking about what God expected and regulated, sometimes we regulate too much. 
Now, don't, don't, don't get it wrong. Like, I, I love comfort. I love this sweatshirt. Like, this is, this is me, like, about 8% of the time. If you could see your pastor, uh, like, in the way that I would like to flow, I would have a suit with the hat tilted to the side. I might have a cane, like, every Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just the way I like to dress. I enjoy it. But don't get me wrong. I love tennis shoes, some Timbos and a hoodie. Like, like but that's just not me on the reg. But what we would do as a church, churches would be on one extreme where, where we would say God expects holiness and therefore he expects holiness. Then everyone must dress t- to the nines. And if you don't come in with a suit, a church hat, all these other things, then how dare you step in God's holy temple? Get everything together first. Then you can come in. Show us that you are worthy of God's Love and affection. See how, see how sinful that is? See how, see how jacked up that is? On the other end, folks come in church drinking a two-liter, kids walking over the pews, dirt all on the seats, pastor preaching, kid got a phone loud playing video games. And there's no reverence for this being a holy space, for this being a place where people are trying to engage with God. And they're actually being like, we're like looking God in the face like you're you're no more valuable than when I go to a doctor appointment or anything else. Like I could care less. I'm just here. See, we don't want sin at either of those levels. And you're going to say, well, pastor, what's the balance? I don't know. We got to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want someone who walks in here who doesn't know anything about church to feel welcomed. I don't want us to jump on them because their kids are, are dropping and eating a snack to try to be quiet. Like, love on them. But I expect after a year of you being here for there to be some norms of what it looks like to revere God's presence here. And you just say, OK, now you're going to sit down, Bubba. It, it, we we got to walk this walk and we got to learn how to do this life, y'all. But sometimes sin. Sin left unchecked. Will lead us to begin to look at the other person as. Wrong. See, this conscience that, 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 that he's talking about here is one that has not been taken care of because these uh, earthly goat couldn't clear the mind. It couldn't renew the mind. But Jesus redeems us. He redeems us. Look in verse 11. Next verse say, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh... How much more, how much more, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much 
more. This God wants to love us. He wants to see us thrive in him. He wants to see us redeemed. What is redemption? Redemption is, is this concept of you being, being bought back or you being freed from the, the, the cycle or the sin of the, you being freed from slavery of sin. All right, that's what redemption is. And it, it is something that, that is interesting because we as people don't always understand just how sinful we are. We don't sometimes think we need to be redeemed. We think we, we, we I mean, I'm, I'm bad, but I ain't, I ain't that bad. I want you to hear this, this poem by Valerie Cox. It's called The Cookie Thief. It says, a woman was waiting at an airport one night with several long hours before her flight. She hunted for a book in the airport shops, bought a bag of cookies, and found a place to plop. She was engrossed in her book but happened to see that the man sitting beside her, as bold as could be, grabbed a cookie or two from the bag in between, which she tried to ignore to avoid a scene. So she munched the cookies and watched the clock as the gutsy cookie thief diminished her stock. She was getting more irritated as the minutes ticked by, thinking if I wasn't so nice, I would blacken his eye. With each cookie she took, he took one too. When only one was left, she wondered what he would do. With a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, he took the last cookie and broke it in half. He offered her half as he ate the other. She snatched it from him and thought, oh, brother, this guy has some nerve. He's also rude. Why he didn't even show any gratitude. She had never known when she had, had seen so, so galled, a man so galled, and sighed with relief when her flight was called. She gathered her belongings and headed to the gate, refusing to look back at the thieving ingrate. She boarded the plane and sank in her seat. Then she sought her book, which was almost complete. As she reached in her bag, she gasped with surprise. There was her bag of cookies in front of her eyes. If mine are here, she moaned in despair. The others were his, and he tried to share. Too late to apologize, she realized her grief, that she was the rude one, the ingrate, the thief. Family. Ain't that our story that, that we think we are so right? We think we are so in the right lane and yet could be causing harm. Why? Because we are sinful beings with these blinders of sin on. And God is saying, wait, 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 your conscience isn't clear. Let me have your conscience. I want to do something that will transform even how you think, even how you see. I want to redeem you. I want you to experience eternal redemption, redeemed here on earth and redeemed for ever. Now, redemption has three kind of ways it plays out. It plays out legally, it plays out in families, and it plays out in a, in a religious manner. The, the legal definition is, is when there's like a, a, a substitute. 
And uh, GodQuestions.org says it like this. It says, uh, in the case of King Saul is one, ex- one example of a legal substitute. Uh, Saul had placed a curse on anyone eating on the day of a particular battle. When he learned that his son Jonathan had violated this edict, he still offered him to be put to death. But all of the people came forward and they intervened and they redeemed Jonathan. They redeemed him based on that law by substituting a sacrifice in his place. So the people of God put a sacrifice in his place and therefore the legal aspect of being redeemed was cared for. Family aspect. For example, from a family, it takes place when, 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 when someone is redeemed after, after a, a, a relationship or a component of the family structure is broken. So, for instance, if a piece of property is lost and someone steps in to redeem that property for the sake of it staying within the family lineage... That's an example of redemption. If you talk to Edith or you talk to Robin, you'll hear stories. Stories of, man, grandma paid that house off. It was paid off for like 30 years. And my uncle didn't take care of the taxes, man, and we lost it. He lost it for 1500 Can you believe that, Pastor? You know, like, like I've, I hear these stories. They hear these stories. Redemption looks like someone stepping in and saying, no, we're not losing this. Here's the payment. It is fulfilled. Lastly, from a religious, a spiritual side, redemption looks like, looks like a covering. It's, 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 the term actually means to, to cover over or to atone. So it's when a, a payment or a sacrifice is made that covers over wrong, covers over sin. And so which one might you need? Maybe you did some legal stuff and you need some redemption. Maybe there's some family breaking that has take place and you need some redemption. Maybe it's your connection unto God and you need some redemption. Either way, Jesus died for that. Jesus gave his life for that. Jesus brings in a new opportunity, a new covenant, so your mind and conscience can be made new and so that you can be redeemed. So you can be redeemed. And what does that look like? It looks like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous what? Light. God did it. God loves you. He loves me enough to say I will not let your crazy mind be what leads you the rest of your life. I am going to die so that that cycle of mental sin you can be freed from. Some of you are like, but pastor, I still feel kind of crazy sometimes. Welcome to the crew. Like we, We all do a little bit, but guess what? We're not enslaved to it. Enslaved means you can't break free. Enslaved means there is no hope because now I am shackled to it. No, I'm going to be honest with y'all. 
since God saved me, there has never been a sin I could not have rejected. I look back like, Okay, you gave me the out. I didn't have to cut her with my tongue like that. I didn't have to act like it wasn't a hookup that he had stole, but I just wanted to get the... Oh, sorry. I, 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 I mean, don't get me wrong. Are there sins that we commit that we're not aware of accidentally? Yes. But that, that list is on another level. What would life look like if we did what God asked us to with all the sin that we knew about? All the sinful opportunities set right before us, and we was like, sorry on this one, Lord. All the ways he's calling us to discipline, right? See, we're not just talking about going crazy. We're talking about godly living. So for some of us, it's like hold your tongue. For some of us, it's watch what you eat. For some of us, it's you need to cut back smoking. For some of us, it's you need to cut back drinking. For some of us, it's need, you need to encourage somebody. For some of us, it's, it's how you're doing with your finances. For some of us, it's come on. It's, it's God saying, no, just let me have it. Sin is not just when you do the worst. Sin is when you don't do what I ask of you. He's given us a clear conscience. Now we can see. The blinders is gone. Now we can see. And it's like, okay. Now I want you to walk with me. Take one step. I got you. But pastor, it's scary. Lord, it's scary. I know. Take another step. I got you. But how this going to work out? I don't know. Take one step. I got you. That's what God is calling us to. He's saying, have I redeemed you from enough for you to believe me? Have I redeemed you so that now you could think with a clear mind, a clear conscience? That's the beauty of this text, y'all. We get a new opportunity to do life in Christ. I'm going to leave you with this last example that was given. It was taken from uh, a magazine called The Good News Publishers. This week, we're focusing on the, 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 the idea of redemption. Uh, Pastor Chris, I want to humbly ask that you guys sing uh, The Blood next week, too. Because next week, we're focusing just on the blood of Christ. Good News Magazine has this story about the boy who lost his boat. It says, Tom carried his new boat to the edge of the river. He carefully placed it in the water and slowly let out the string. How smoothly the boat sailed. Tom sat in the warm sunshine admiring a little boat that he had built. Suddenly, a strong current caught the boat. Tom tried to pull it back to shore, but the string broke. The little boat raced down the stream. Tom ran along the sandy shore as fast as he could, but his little boat soon slipped out of sight. All afternoon, he searched for the boat. Finally, when it was too dark to look any longer, Tom sadly went home. A few days later, on the way home from school, Tom spotted a boat just like his in the store window. When he got closer, he could see, sure enough, that was his boat. Tom hurried to the store manager. Sir, that's my boat in your window. I made that. Sorry, son. Someone else brought it in this morning. If you want it, you'll have to buy it for a dollar. 
Tom ran home, counted up all his money, exactly one dollar. When he reached the store, he rushed to the counter. Here's the money for my boat. As he left the store, Tom hugged his boat and said, now you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. Family, that's an image of the beauty of Jesus. He's created us. He is our creator. He made us into the beautiful people that we are. And I don't care who you are, what you look like in this room or at home. You are beautiful because you are created in the image of God. But he also bought us with his blood. He set us in a new position, made us and given us a new opportunity at life to have a clear mind, a clear conscience that could worship him. May you do that today. Let's pray. Father, we've been purchased, redeemed, set free from slavery. Lord, we know sin is real. But it has no dominion over our lives. We know sin is real, but it's not stronger than you. And so, Lord, we delight in your ways and we thank you, Lord, for what you are doing. Would you, Lord, let our minds experience rest, rest from sin, rest from temptation. Would you give us a heart that wants to be present and worship you with the family of God. Would you lead us, Lord, into lives that just submit to whatever you ask? We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.